hubris is the nothing personal word of the day for September 27th, 2022. Hubris. That's what I had. I just landed not many hours ago from Berlin where I went to compete in my fourth at marathon major. There's six majors, Tokyo, London, Berlin, New York, Chicago, Boston. I've done the US ones. I wanted to do Berlin, made plans, got in through a great company called Fit Fitness International run by Kelly McClay, an incredible woman who started this business where you travel with a group and you get to run a marathon, one of the majors. And I had not run since July 16th and I had the hubris to think that I could do it. And I went through marathon weekend, I went sightseeing, I visited a concentration camp, I visited other spots in Berlin, an unbelievably historic city. There still is, are parts of the wall that separated East and West Berlin that maybe some of the younger people do not realize what a significant moment that was when the wall came tumbling down, John Cougar. So it was a interesting weekend on my feet. I had not run since July because my hamstring was torn and I did Kilimanjaro and needed to rest. So I take the starting line full of all these amazing runners and accomplished runners and I didn't fricking deserve it and I quit. I was texting with Jason Caldwell. I hope you enjoyed our sit down. He saw my video and he reached out to me to tell me, hey, listen, bad days happen. And I told him the biggest issue I had is that I knew going in, I knew going in that I hadn't earned the right to start. And when you don't earn that right, then you can't start. But I had such hubris. Oh, I've done 26 marathons. Oh, I'm this major runner. I can do this. Mile one, mile two. I'm like, God, I don't feel great. Four, five, six. All right, I got a few more hours. I can do this. Eight, nine. There's a subway station right there. I'm not going to look. I'm not going to look. Ten. Oh, God, I, I need to eat. I'm dizzy. There's a real problem. The weather's perfect, and I still feel this badly. My legs are killing me. I tried to walk a little bit. Walking was harder. And then at mile 12, I saw a subway station that just happened to have the same line, right? It was the U6, which gets right back to my hotel. And I literally walked off the course. I ripped my number off out of embarrassment, put my water bottle down, walked down to the subway. And I was there with all the people who were cheering on runners and family and friends by going from one spot to another. And I'm there, I'm sweating, I've got salt deposits on my face, I'm despondent, I'm limping. So today I'm back, got back last night. I am sore as can be, and I am metal free. If you're gonna be sore, you might as well get the medal. I do not like failing. I appreciate failure, it helps me absolutely grow. It helps me measure my successes, but God, does it feel badly. I understand why people don't wanna fail so they don't try anything. I guess that's the takeaway. If you don't wanna feel like I feel right now, just don't do anything, but then the problem is you won't do anything. So you might as well do something and take the risk of feeling the way I feel this second. While I was in Berlin, I felt another way. You know, Coca is our producer here at Nothing Personal. He is my sensei in so many ways. He is my conscience. He is my guiding light. He is helpful to me as I navigate the what are often treacherous, shark-infested waters of, so of social media of having a platform, of having a microphone. And 
every once in a while, way more often than I'd like to admit, I proceed to do things without speaking to Coca first. And it's not like I answer to Coca. Coca doesn't answer to me. We are a team. It's that sometimes I just, I'm not thinking about Coca and I see something on social media or I see something that I'm experiencing during the course of a day and I want to react. And I want to react in a way that shows that I am relatable, that shows that I'm engaging, that will help build the audience. There's ego involved. There's business involved. There's adrenaline, dopamine, all these things are involved as I try to be fast on Twitter. I try to be right. I try to be clever. I try to be funny. I try to entertain you. I try to entertain myself, not necessarily in that order, according to Coca, often enough. And when I saw the news that Ime Udoka was going to be suspended for a consensual affair, I went fast and I went hard. And these are all part of my blind spots and my personal biases, where I'm still so frustrated about what happened with Deshaun Watson, so frustrated because it was so reminiscent of the person who I used to be, who I don't want to be anymore, and I try not to be while still keeping an edge, given the show we do, given the platform. It, it came up actually again yesterday with the Dolphins or two days ago when someone said to me, what would you do if one of your players got hurt during a game? Would you just hurry up and get it back on the field? And the answer is yes, because I was only interested in on the field, despite all evidence to the contrary in some of your minds. I wanted to win at all costs, not all costs, not all financial costs, but player health was not number one on my list. Players getting concussions, not number one on my list. Deshaun Watson impacted me in a way because I was thinking to myself too often, well, if it were my player, I'm not sure, maybe I would have enabled, maybe I wouldn't have come down hard, maybe I would have fought suspension, maybe I would have traded for him, all the things that today I say no to. But then the situation with Udoka happens, and he's the erstwhile head coach of the Boston Celtics, who's been suspended for one year by the Boston Celtics. And this is a team that was in the finals last year. And he was suspended for what we don't know. And that's the biggest point. I thought I knew because I read a report. And the report that I read said that he was involved in a consensual affair. And I ran with that. Without thinking. Without thinking that, wait a minute. Maybe it's not a consensual affair. Maybe there's more here then we know maybe it's consensual according to Udoka or his agent or his family. Maybe it's consensual in the way that Trevor Bauer said that his encounter was consensual. I guess when people are in trouble, they always will say it's consensual and that doesn't mean it's true. But I took a blue check mark or a white check mark, which I call it, as you know, because if you look at it, it looks like a white check mark. I took that. And I said, oh, that means it was consensual without thinking. Is it privilege? Is it color? Is it age? Whatever my excuse is, I've got to be better. I've got to be better. Am I, am I atrophying a little bit from not being in an office, from not managing people? Is that possible? Is it possible I've lost my edge of empathy, which I didn't have that I've grown, but don't run an office or run a team right now? 
or was I never as good at seeing every side of something because I took my internal biases or I took the word of a man who said, I didn't do that. I didn't harass her. I can't believe she misinterpreted. I'm so sorry. All of those things added up to me being wrong and I needed to own it, not just on Twitter, but with you, my audience, who I have a relationship with, who I care about. And I have a bigger responsibility, but so do you. So it shouldn't just be platform related. I should have the same level of care that you do. And we all need to be better. It doesn't matter to have the quickest take, even though it feels like I wanna do that and I'm right more than I'm wrong. What matters is to be able to think as the other person, but by the way, that's another issue which is I have been told and I agree, I can't step into the shoes of anyone who is a person of color. I can't step into the shoes of anyone who's not me. Anyone who doesn't have my experience, I can't be. So I've got to think more quickly and better about that, that sort of understanding. So if there is a report where a coach is gonna be suspended for a year, I immediately go to me. What would have to happen for me to suspend my manager for a year? Ozzie Guillen said that he loves and respects Fidel Castro as manager of the Marlins and I suspended him because I was in Miami and I had an amazing pressure by being in Miami where Castro is the third rail. Way before third rails even started, Castro was a third rail in Miami. It's the same. There's a new third rail that shouldn't be a new third rail. It should be an old third rail. It should be a forever third rail. There shouldn't be a time when it's okay where no means anything other than no. There shouldn't be a time where there's a question about whether something's consensual or not. There shouldn't be a time where women in any way have to suffer in, suffer indignities or suffer any sort of issues at work or at home or anywhere because they are women and they get taken advantage of. Nobody should be in that position ever so i take my time saying it's, it can't be a proportionate response to a consensual affair by suspending him for a year it can't be so i tweeted it and then i'm supposed to say i learned my lesson but i won't know till the next time because the synapses in my brain that cause me to respond a certain way based on my own experience, based on my own life, based on my own judgment, my own decisions, are those going to disappear magically somehow? I'm gonna try to reframe them. I'm gonna try to reprogram them. One of the things that a, uh, a therapist said to me many times is that you have a hard drive inside you and that hard drive is programmed to react certain ways to certain things to certain situations and then life experience just makes that hard drive even harder right it it confirms because the hard drive takes outside input and then it throws output according to its programming and if you've been programmed wrong you are going to react wrong to a situation it may not be your fault and certainly i'm not not taking blame, too many negatives. But that's an interesting way of thinking about it. And the way to get healthier, he always told me this doctor, was to start working on a rewire, like do a hard reset where you wipe the hard drive clean. 
And I've always been unwilling to wipe my hard drive clean because I'm worried that with the bad will also be the good. It was sort of my issue that I had with other problems that I've had, like eating an eating disorder where I thought if I don't look thin or I eat, that all of a sudden I won't be the leader I was or the person I was or have the humor I have or the leadership qualities or the athletic abilities I have, that it'll all disappear and I'll get fat. Because that's what my computer told me. And I had to rewire it and I rewired that part. And it's, it didn't fully work. It's not fully rewired because I still think about eating food and my, my relationship with food is horrific and eating is horrific. But the concept of rewiring is quite interesting. So what's going on here is that we have a situation where a coach of a team out of nowhere, there is an investigation that's been going on and I should know this because I ran a team. Just because something leaks doesn't mean it's acute or happened that minute. The Celtics could have been investigating a situation for a year, six months, four months. Who knows? We don't have the reports. But then the Celtics do a press conference where they don't answer questions. Udoka gives a statement where he doesn't answer questions. He just apologizes to his players, his fans, and the organization, and then his family. How many times do I have to tell people when you're caught in a situation like this, you start with your family, end with your organization, and put the fans in the middle? All he said is he's sorry for putting the team in a difficult situation. Does that mean the difficult situation is suspending him? We don't exactly have any idea. There's rumors, but we still don't know what Udoka did. But for a team to act the way they acted, they had to have information. But then it goes deeper. The Celtics not only had to have information, they had to be willing to act on the information. And I can tell you it's not as easy for an organization as you think. It's not as easy for an owner or for Brad Stevens who gave the reins to this individual who watched success on the court unbelievable success all of a sudden acknowledge that a change was going to have to be made so why was Udoka suspended a year and not for ever what would be the reason is it that the investigation wasn't finished is it that they only found what they found and they viewed that as a year but if they find more that could turn into more than a year do you act when you only know a partial story did they interview everyone in the company? Did they interview Udoka to figure out whether or not the complaints lodged against him? Even if there were there complaints, were there not complaints? We don't know anything. So I'm happy to give the Celtics the benefit of the doubt, maybe. But then why not give Udoka the benefit of the doubt? Why not give his victims the benefit of the doubt? When do you stop with the benefit of the doubt? Or do you just give it to everybody? And if you're going to give it to everybody, then that includes the victim and the perpetrator. And I'm not ever willing to give the benefit of the doubt to perpetrators, which is maybe another blind spot. So now the Celtics are stuck with a season starting now, their players have to answer to the craziness that's going on because their press conference did not take the obligation away from the players. It happened in Phoenix too. All the Phoenix players were asked about Sarver. Half the media day was about Sarver. So of course, when the Celtics media day happened, it was gonna be about the fact, wow, we don't have a new, we, our head coach out of nowhere is different on the eve of training camp. 
players get together and they decide who's going to talk about these subjects, it's not willy-nilly. So when media availability happens and there's a, not just a tragedy, but there there is some sort of activity that's happening within the team that requires a comment. My view always was that we've got to give the players cover. I've got to put the GM out there or the manager or me as the president, never the owner in a negative situation in any sort of problem. You keep the owner out. But I've got to come out and I've got to make sure that our players don't have to sit and answer these questions because players are not paid for that. My view. I want the players playing. I want the players focused. I want the players getting ready for the season. I don't want distractions. It's a very commonly used word, but I do not want distractions. Marcus Smart is the leader of the Celtics in many ways, veteran defensive player of the year, longest tenured player. And he had a very interesting response to the Udoka situation that I that Coca told me about that I had not seen that I think was very well workshopped by the PR department. We would send in our head of media relations. We would be sending in our crisis communications head. We'd be meeting with the players, explaining to them, here's what's going to be asked of you. Here's what we are going to do to try to make it so you don't have to answer them, but be ready. You may have to answer them. Marcus Smart just said, we're waiting like everybody else. As a player, I'd like to know more. It's not my business. I may never know more, but man, I'd like to know more. Quote, although as a player, you'd like to know, but like I said, it's not an obligation. What a brilliant way to formulate a thought. And too often in social media or in life, we never think this way. That's the concept of lush and horror. That's the concept of gossip where I never think, none of us think. Actually, we're the opposite. We think it's our right to know everything that happened. We think it's our right to have complete transparency and answers as though private companies are our government. And if you think we have transparency from the government, I've got another thing coming. And it's not that I'm a conspiracy theorist. I'm just telling you there are lots of things. There are lots of things in heaven and earth, lots more things in heaven and earth than are dreamt of in our philosophy. Lots more goes on everywhere than what we're told, but yet we always take what tidbits we get and then we fill in the rest. Like froggy DNA to make a dinosaur. We're filling in the gaps. So here's where I stand. There's more to the Udoka story. It may or may not come out, but the way we'll know whether or not there's more is whether or not he comes back. Given all of the turmoil and attention that is surrounding this situation, I believe it's not like the Red Sox bringing back Alex Cora when he was involved in garbage cans, but not solely involved. He served his time, and now that's it. Clean slate. He's back with the Red Sox. I think this is more of a situation where it could be like A.J. Hinch, where he's gone from the team but resurfaces with another team. Maybe it's like Jeff Luna now, gone from the team, now gone forever. That I'm not sure because we don't know enough, and we may never. But there's one thing I am sure, and I'll tell you, it's wait to see, an official wait to see, Udoka will not coach the Celtics again. It's starting with a year-long suspension, and they're going to move on without him. 
The Marlins are moving on without Don Mattingly next year. Don Mattingly, we hired him in 2015, his first season with 2016. His first season ended with the death of Jose Fernandez. Don Mattingly is one of the few, one of the common questions I'm asked when I give talks or when people meet me is, do you ever feel as though, you know, that you're starstruck or ever feel weird about being in a room? I never felt that way with so many of the people I've been in a room with, but with Donnie Baseball, I did. When you grew up in New York in the 80s, Donnie Baseball was it. So when you're in a room with him and hiring him to be your manager, you're thinking, holy Christ, he's reporting to me? I loved working with him for the two years I had. He's the longest tenured manager in Marlins history. And when you're the longest tenured manager without any sort of, he really has not had any issues. Not enough wins, but no off the field issues because Donnie wouldn't. And he was allowed by the Marlins to exit on his own terms. And I appreciate that, what Bruce Sherman and Kim Ang did the owner and GM of the Marlins. They were not bringing him back because the team has been such a disappointment, but they were not going to fire him. So they just say it's mutual, but they let Donnie do it when he wants to, how he wants to, and he did it on the six-year anniversary of Jose's death. To me, I knew that this was coming. As a matter of fact, back in June, we did a show where I said Don Mattingly is going to get fired. I guess I'm going to lose that, Coca. I guess he wasn't fired. He wasn't renewed, but it's sort of the same thing. He's not being brought back would have been a better way for me to say it. I don't know that Don Maddenley will manage again, maybe a hitting coach somewhere. What he knows about hitting, what he's forgotten about hitting, the majority of hitting coaches will never know. The majority of hitters will never know. This is the time of year in baseball right now as we are heading down to the last week of games where decisions have already been made. Don't listen as we go forward when the season ends and you hear an owner or GM saying, we're going to evaluate. That is absolute horse hockey. The evaluations, there is not one team that does not know the future of its manager today on September 27th. Not one. Period. I don't care what they say. I promise you it's not accurate. It's just a matter of when you make an announcement that a manager's coming back or a manager's not coming back. It is not, oh, we're going to take some time to think about it after the season. That's my favorite. We always say that. We used to say that. It's so ridiculous. We're going to take a few days and get some distance from the season, and then we will decide which way we're going to go. Remember the Yankees did that with Boone and Cashman, I think, last year? They said, oh, we're going to take a little time. Don Mattingly, you are an officer and a gentleman. And the Marlins, every player who you touched, both on the Dodgers and the Marlins, is the luckier for having interacted with you. All right, we come back. We are going to review a movie, and then we're going to talk about Albert Pujols getting to 700 while I was away and some funny things that have happened surrounding that 700. We will be right back. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. Thank you for listening to the Sit down with Jason Caldwell and the mailbag episode. Thank you for those questions. Keep coming at me with questions. We'll have another mailbag coming up in a week or two. And uh, I just appreciate all of your support and following, subscribing, and all the things you do. We are on TikTok, nothingpersonal.mpds, Instagram, and also, of course, if you're watching me, on YouTube. I watched a movie that's causing great polarity, and I don't know why. 
There's a new movie with Maya Hawke and Camille Mendez called Do Revenge. And I'm not burying the lead. I loved it. I was entertained the entire time. Maya Hawke is Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman's daughter. They're not married anymore, but Oprah, Uma, Uma, Oprah. No, Letterman, anybody? Hello. Coca, is there a chance when I say Uma, Oprah, that you know what I mean? It's almost positive that he won't. But that was a bit by David Letterman. Uma, Oprah. So Uma and Ethan got together and had Maya. Maya is a model and an actress, and I had not seen her in anything, though she did have some credits. And she plays a a social outcast who becomes a social incast who then becomes the central figure in a plot to exact revenge on the cool kids or not. I love high school movies. Maybe it appeals to the Peter Pan in me, but what I do know is that when you get a well-acted movie that has good music and it makes you realize that you can't believe you navigated again the treacherous waters of high school. You know what, man? There's so many things that have treacherous waters. I guess just wear a PFD and you have a chance to be okay. So do revenge is clever. And people don't want to admit it's clever because it's a high school movie. And if they're not in high school, you think it's beneath you or below you and you're not going to be interested in the plot lines. You won't be interested in the character development. But this movie had both of those a superb performance by Camille Mendes, who I had not seen before, but it has been in a TV show. Someone told me what it was called, and of course I forgot. Uh, either Riverdale or The O.C., two things I've never seen, but she was in one of those. And the movie is about doing revenge. It will never make, eh, hold on, it's a funny top five list, but my top five revenge movies, number one will always be Revenge with Madeline Stowe and Kevin Costner. If you haven't seen it, check it out. That's my number one revenge movie, but Do Revenge may possibly make my top five. Check it out. Albert Pujols, you did it. I was sure you weren't gonna do it. Before the season started on March 29th, on my preview of the MLB season, it's not the MLB season, of the Major League Baseball season, I said that Albert Pujols will not hit 700 home runs and he's not even going to be on the postseason roster if the cards make it, which I think I had the cards making the playoffs. I can't remember since I got so many other predictions wrong. I can't remember that one. Well, on Friday night in front of a huge Apple TV audience, Albert Pujols did not hit one hit home run. He hit two. His 700th home run. The fourth player ever. Albert Pujols played in a time when it was presumed that everyone was doing steroids. Albert Pujols never tested positive, never got suspended. So many players were suspected but never proven because there was no testing. Fernando Tatis Sr. is an example of someone who I said incorrectly was doing steroids. I had no proof he was never tested. He never tested positive, which means, in theory, never did steroids. Albert Pujols joins Hank Aaron and Babe Ruth and Barry Bonds. 700 home runs. 
just do the math on that a little quickly. How many guys hit 40 home runs? He's hitting 40 home runs for not 10 years, that's 400. Not 15 years, that's 600. 17 years, nope. He's got to do it for an 18th year. That sort of longevity, no matter how old you are, no matter when you start, is hard to come by. There will not be another player to hit seven home run, 700 home runs. It's like there won't be another pitcher to get 300 wins. It's not going to happen. Aaron Judge, no. Stanton, no. Trout, no. Julio Rodriguez, no. Tatis Jr., no. Do the math. What strikes me about the Pujols year and why this got so much great attention and why there's some whispers, why there are people wondering is because it came out of nowhere. Albert Pujols spent the first half of the year proving me right that he was not going to come close to the 21 home runs he needed to get 700. He had like six home runs. All of a sudden, in the last 50 games, he has 15 home runs. That's one every 3.2 games. It's insanity. Did his bat speed all of a sudden get better? Did his pitch recognition get better? For the youngins out there, I want to remind you that Abra Pujols is the greatest, the greatest right-handed hitter of all time. He wasn't just a home run hitter. This guy hit for average. He hit for power. He hit in the gaps. He was a plus defender in my mind, in our scouts' mind. This is the player who, when the Cardinals let him go in 2012, the thought was they're crazy. And I thought, oh my God, I can't believe we didn't get him. Don't worry, when he gets even older, we'll forgive him for stinking because we're going to get the greatest player in his prime. He had a disastrous time in Anaheim. He ended up being with the Los Angeles Dodgers and somehow found both youth and exuberance again, love of the game. Announced his retirement, not thinking that he would even get to 700, no matter what he tells you. No chance that he was thinking that, given the rate at which he had been hitting home runs recently. The fact that he'd even stay healthy was going to be a surprise. And he's done it. And there was all sorts of talk. The people with souvenirs and money and getting the ball, it's been a huge thing. Did you see the guy, uh, Coca, yesterday? There was a guy in Toronto where Aaron Judge is trying to hit his 61st to Ty Maris and then 62nd to set the Yankees in American League record. Some guy bought out like one or two sections of the outfield in Toronto. I love that. In the you don't have to be vaccinated, vaccinated at, God damn it, Coca, four, forty, sixty-nine. In the you no longer have to be vaccinated Canada just in time for MLB playoffs just in time for the NBA season, that rule is now pff, gone. Some guy bought all the seats trying to catch Aaron Judge's home run ball. The guy who caught Pujols' home run ball was offered a chance to give it back to Pujols. Thank God he didn't. You'd have to be absolutely mashugana to give back a 700th home run ball and don't immediately sell it. Got to figure out it's worth. Got to meet with an auction house, figure out the best way to do it. Albert Pujols, of course, was asked about it, as he would be, 
and said, hey, souvenirs are for the fans. True, though players like getting jerseys and balls signed and all sorts of other stuff. Albert Pujols then said, at the end of the day, I don't focus on material stuff. I've always been very careful about saying that. It's hard when you have a lot of stuff to say you don't focus on material stuff. You can always say, hey, it's creature comforts. Hey, it's things that I like, but I don't need. It's things that I've always wanted and never dreamt I'd have. There's a lot of different ways you can say it. Albert Pujols and the Cardinals did spring training with the Marlins and the Expos for, I did spring training with him for the first 12, the first 12 out of 13 seasons in baseball. And what I always enjoyed about watching Pujols is that I was never able to know, and I've used this way to describe other players, but I was never able to know with him, is he five for his last seven? Is he 0 for his last seven? Has he hit four home runs in his last six at-bats or no home runs in 30 at-bats? When he is in the box, when he is between the lines, his ability to focus on the game, on performance and on success, truly amazing. It's history that you watched. Way bigger than Aaron Judge getting his 61st. I am so tired of everybody focused on Aaron Judge's 61st. It's exciting. It's not a real home run chase. The record is the record, 73. It's the Yankees. When Stanton broke the record for the Marlins, is it just because it was the Marlins? That's why there was no attention? He had 59 home runs that season in 17 when he was MVP. There was no one like, Say, no, let's break in. Not on Apple, but let's break in. Aaron Judge is a great player. He's going to make a lot of money. But just out of small curiosity here, why isn't way more attention being given to Albert and his 700th? Because there will be another player to hit 61 home runs. I promise you that. 700, gone forever. The other thing that happened in baseball that was a wait to see back from uh, September 1st and 22 is that the White Sox, who completely imploded here at the end of the season, actually, let me say that a better way. Let's do something smarter here, okay? The Chicago White Sox are the biggest disappointment in Major League Baseball in 2022. There's no dispute in it. The Cleveland Guardians, congratulations. It is major. David Blitz, are you excited? It is major. They clinched the AL Central, a division that the White Sox should have won by 30 games. I don't care about injuries. I don't care about any of that. They should have won it by 30 games. Not only are they not winning their division, they're not the wild card. And I'm checking live. You are looking live as I look to make sure that I'm right. The White Sox, no, they still could finish 500. They're 76 and 77. They've lost six in a row, but they can still win 81 games. I can't remember a team that was supposed to be so good and finish below 500 in baseball. That's really hard. You can finish 83 and 79 or win 85 games, not make the playoffs before they were expanded. Say, wow, that was disappointing. I can't believe it. But when you finish below 500 and you were supposed to run away with your division and you are how many games back? 10 games back. Holy criminy. But I told you Tony La Russa was the problem, at least one of them. I want him to get well. I don't wish him to be physically sick by any stretch at all. But he's just not 
good enough to manage anymore. Well, he's not. I told you on September 1st he would not be back in 2022. Guess what? He's not back. And you know what else? I said he's not going to be back in 23. That's another one of these decisions that's not being made by Jerry Reinsdorf once the season ends. Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner of the Bulls and White Sox, knows today. Right now, this second. Jerry, hi. Good to see you again. Just tell us. Are you bringing Tony back in 23? Are you going to let him resign, say it's health reasons? Or instead, are you going to let him go? I'll tell you right now, LaRusse is not back in 23. But I told you that September 1st. And I'm taking the win on that wait to see. Okay, nothing personal pick of the day. Remember, we our last show like this was Wednesday. So we gave you a Wednesday, Thursday, Sunday, Monday picks. I had the cards over the Padres on Wednesday. The Padres beat him one nothing. That's a loss. What the hell happened to the Steelers? God, do they suck. Never taking them again. That's a loss. Coco was pissed at me on Sunday for taking the Ravens. Never a doubt. They beat the Patriots by 11. That was a win. And did you watch the game last night? The undefeated Dolphins, the undefeated Eagles, and the undefeated Giants? One of these things is not like the other. That was the worst attempt at Electric Company or Sesame Street I've ever seen with Morgan Freeman. That is how you learn which of these things is not like the other. The Giants are not an undefeated team. It just wasn't official until last night. I'm not exactly sure how the Cowboys were getting points against the Giants. Well, because of Cooper Getty Lee Rush? I have no idea. We won that. So we went 2-2. Two and two. We're 111-83. and 83. Okay, we have a, uh, a week left in Major League Baseball. There are some races to be excited about. Now, it's not like the old days where the pennant race between the Mets and the Braves. That should be super exciting because right now the Mets are one up on the Braves. And it should be either you win the pennant or you go home. Neither the Mets nor the Braves are going home. It could be the second year in a row that there's 200 win teams in a division. I suspect that will be the case. The Dodgers and Giants did it last year. It's unbelievable, as a matter of fact, to have two teams win 100 games in a division. Just amazing. But the Mets and Braves are most likely to do it. But what's at stake is what we told you, which is if you don't win the division, you have to win a wild card series, which you're going to host. But then on top of that, you have to play the Dodgers in the second round. If you win the division, you get a bye and then get to not play the Dodgers till the LCS. So there's a lot at stake here as we finish. But that's not it. The expanded wild card, the expanded playoffs have provided, I think that when Major League Baseball and Rob Manford sort of sit together, they will in their mind say that it's been good but not great. Right? There's not a lot of excitement in the American League at all. Everything's done. Period. Now, will Toronto or Tampa or Seattle be home court, home field advantage in the wild card series. I'm not sure fans are getting excited about that. So the American League, they got to focus on Judge, not much else. So Judge's slump is a good thing for baseball right now. Keep something exciting. National League, you got a little something-something. Not the wild card because either the Braves or the Mets are going to host a series. You got the Padres and Phillies separated just by a game, game and a half. But the Brewers, the haterless Brewers, are only a game, and, game back, game and a half back of making the playoffs. Three back of San Diego, one and a half back of Philly. Starting a big series against the Cads. We're taking the Brewers tonight. 
Brewers are hot. Hot. H-O triple T. I mean, they've lost one in a row, so they're not that hot. Look, speaking of Milwaukee, Milwaukee's great. For those of you from Wisconsin out there, just know I love Milwaukee. And I love that you are passionate about your Packers. I remember when the Packers used to play home games at County Stadium. They played one game a year at County Stadium. That stopped quickly when they had a match revenue with other NFL teams locally. So Brett Favre is a subject where we've covered, where the media is being accused of not covering a story about what's going on with Brett Favre. Go back and listen to our show from earlier this month. We did an entire segment about the trouble Brett Favre is in and what's going on with the money that he used in Mississippi to build or help build a new volleyball stadium. Brett Favre is in trouble. To refresh your recollection, he is a Hall of Fame quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, who also played for the Jets. He played for the Falcons, I think, for a minute. He played for the Twins for a quarter of a second, maybe more than a quarter of a second. But he is most associated with the Packers. But he's from Mississippi. He goes home to Mississippi, wants to stay relevant, gets paid for things he doesn't do because he feels as though in his mind he didn't get enough guaranteed money when he was a player, didn't make enough, and is the type that wants to let everyone know that he is going to use his name and his previous fame to parlay that into more deals, more attention, and he's far from the only athlete who does that, far from the only executive who does that. So... Coca is whispering in my ear, yelling in my ear, you don't have to yell, that he had $137 million in, in earnings on the field. Um, I can do the math on that. We'll take 50% away for taxes. It's still enough to live on forever if he didn't spend it on other things. But I have seen more players who have earned that amount of money who have no money than I wish to acknowledge. They don't have the right financial assistance. They don't make the right decisions. Whether or not Brett Favre has enough money for the rest of his life is not relevant to me. The fact is that he took money that was not to be used for volleyball. And this is not me taking money to for a stadium. That was the only way the money could be used. Come on, folks. He took, this is like the story we did last week, Coca, where those people who should rot in hell took money that was meant to feed kids during COVID and took it to buy themselves stuff. Brett Favre was taking money because he wanted to be associated with the university and the building of a stadium. And it was total misappropriation, period. The question is, when's the other shoe gonna drop? And here's the other shoe. Brett Favre has been pleading ignorance. Oh my God, didn't know. The problem with pleading ignorance is if you're found to have previous knowledge. If you're going to have plausible deniability, which is something that we love to do with our owner, we wanted to give him plausible deniability on myriad subjects so we just wouldn't talk to him about stuff. The problem with giving someone plausible deniability, but then there's proof that it was neither plausible nor deniable, is all of a sudden you're in the perjury realm. You're in the fraudulent realm. 
And the best way to get at someone is to get at someone else who can sing like a thornbird to their last dying day about what they know, what they did. Please don't punish me so hard. I promise I will turn state's evidence. I will be the stool pigeon to make Paul Sorvino and Ray Liotta cook pasta inside prison. I'm talking. There are people talking in Mississippi right now because they put on the fire, the flame of prison. And now word has come out that Brett Favre, who has used as his defense, hey, listen, I had no idea this was happening. I didn't know they were using welfare funds. How was I supposed to be aware of that? I'm just a dumb quarterback. Guess what? Their text messages that are now public that specifically say from the governor to Favre himself, by the way, we're gonna get there. This was a great meeting, but we have to follow the law because I'm too old for federal prison. Emoji, emoji. The former governor and Brett Favre are now concerned about going to prison. Brett Favre is not gonna go to prison. But Brett Favre is going to be in major trouble, including potentially charged. He's going to be fined. He's going to have to pay restitution to the government for misappropriating the funds. And I have a moral to the story as we close our show today. The moral is if you have to tell someone, either by text, by voice, by letter, or even by thought. If you have to tell someone, wow, I hope no one finds out about this, that means you shouldn't be doing it. We'll see you again tomorrow. It's just business. This is nothing personal.